Hello and welcome to the Euro What, episode number 68 for the week of December 16th, 2019. I'm Ben Smith and I'm joined today by Mike McComb. Hey Mike. Hello. We are a pair of Americans trying to make sense of the Eurovision Song Contest and this week we'll be making our wish list for 2020. How's it going, Mike? It's going well. How are things with you, Ben? Uh, it's good. Uh, it's the holiday season, so I have gone to my 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 local Nutcracker-esque thing. How about you? Uh, yeah, it's been a pretty mild holiday season. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It's just been cold. So <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been wearing my Santa hat inside because it's just been uh, rather nippy. But okay. Um, yeah, yeah, but but also enjoying all of the year-end stuff uh, and end-of-decade stuff that's been happening the last few weeks. So yes, <laughs> yes, as as a voracious reader, just having like a bunch of hey, let's think about the decade things has been great. Mm-hmm. So the big news for Eurovision that tickets are now in the wild, just Woo! not with just not with us, just not with us. Right. We did not we did not do we did not do well in this in this wave of tickets. We did sit in the queue though, and that was that was fun. Yeah, how how was your first experience with the Eurovision ticket madness? I can't really complain. This this is not the most stressful ticket purchasing experience I've had this year. I I tried to I well, I was supposed to say I tried, but I succeeded at getting tickets to a reading with Joe Hill and his dad Stephen King oh. uh, earlier this year. Uh Oh wow. And that I and I was just like, "Oh yeah, it's Stephen King. He has a new book out. Like he clearly does readings for these. Apparently he doesn't do readings that often anymore." Mm. And the Stephen King fan base is rabid as it turns out and they broke yeah. <laughs> my my local bookseller's website in the process of doing it and yet i succeeded oh, wow. i succeeded oh, at getting wow. two tickets excellent so this was a breeze this was a breeze like the toughest part was like i had to set like multiple alarms that i was up by 6 a.m eastern time mm-hmm. but it was great because like the night before just like opened up all my browsers gotten all the cues closed my computer next morning woke up uh, made sure I, those tabs were still working, and just kind of sat there and read a book. Oh, that's actually really smart. I never thought to open the browser before going to sleep. It's it's always been like just waking up a little extra early. And I wasn't sure that was going to work, but I went to the website the night before and was like, "Well, as long as you're in line by noon Central European time, you should be good to go." Right. So I was like, "Cool, I'm going to do yeah. that now because it's like roughly twelve thirty, so it's like morning time in the Netherlands. So I'm good mm. to go." something to think about for next time. But I totally agree that this was a very stress-free process. I mean, min- minus the fact that we didn't get tickets. My one thing that I would have liked would have been like, just like, how many people are in line or what what number in the line I was? And you know, I have a feeling that was intentional. And I, this I kind agree. Of, this, yeah, this, this kind of goes with what I wanted to say about the ticket buying process, because I know a lot of people are just like, oh, I didn't get tickets in the first wave. I'm never going to get to... That's not the purpose of the first wave of ticket sales. Like The first wave is a stress test for the ticket vendor and just making sure that their system can handle thousands of people trying to access it at once and making sure that all of the buttons that you can click actually do the things that they're supposed to do and attest at a massive scale. And I, th- I think leaving the queue numbers off of the screen, that's to make sure that people don't sign off and make the test less stressful. Because you have everybody just wondering, oh, where am I in queue? I don't know. I'm just going to stay stay in line and like cross my fingers. Whereas if 
you open it up and be like, hey, you are 78,000th in line. Just be like, oh, okay, well, I'm just going to go back to bed or I guess go to lunch since that's what most people in Europe would be doing at noon. But it's designed to make sure that there are as many people taxing the system as possible uh, so that the system doesn't crash. And And then just uh, mentally, I'm just going it just like just thinking of the old shake and bake ad. Now I helped. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> we are making Eurovision 2020 a success, even if uh, we're not getting... Even the, if we were not a we success. Wanted. Right. Yeah, right. And, and like, they never really reveal how many tickets are actually for sale in the first wave. It could have been, like, a ticket in each section that was available for all we know, just to make sure that each button click worked. And th- it's always a limited number of tickets anyway, because they want to make sure that uh, there are plenty of people from the countries participating in each semifinal attending those semifinals. So the second wave will probably uh, happen the day after or at, or at least within the week of the semifinal allocation draw at the end of January. So and that's where most of the action is going to happen with the ticket sales. So if you didn't get tickets this time, do not worry. Do not panic. That's part of the plan. And yep. uh, as, as we learned at this year's Eurovision, everything is going according to plan. So. <laughs> and like one thing I'm wondering, just based on the sheer volume of details we have received in the last couple of weeks, is like if there are like quarterly bo- bonuses for the Eurovision team tied to these things being released in the la- before the end of the year. Yeah, like because everything about this is just everything been so... is. Yeah, like we know so much now. Yeah, yeah. And it's been running like clockwork. And the only complaint that I saw about the ticket sales was the like not seeing where you were in the queue. I didn't see anybody complaining about systems crashing, buttons not working, like none of that. And that usually happens with the first wave of ticket sales. Everything's so organized. I don't know how to handle this. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, just thinking of the other details that have been re- revealed recently, uh, we have hosts Yes. We specifically have three hosts, which is great because I'm pretty sure that at some point this year you're like, stop increasing the number of hosts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Although we won't get the hosting pyramid that we had requested a couple episodes back. The three hosts, I think, are going to be very capable. Uh, they are uh, Chantel Jansen, uh, Edzilia Rombly, and Jan Smith. Yeah, they have pretty extensive Eurovision-related resumes and just live TV music performance resumes. So uh, Chantal Janssen, she rose to fame as a musical theater actress, and she is currently the host of The Voice of Holland, Dancing with the Stars in Holland, Dance, 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 and is involved in a whole slew of reality TV shows there. Uh, For uh, people in America, uh, she was in the movie Deuce Bigelow, European Gigolo, which happened. Which is Uh, an actual (laughs) film that exists. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it was one for which uh, Rob Schneider won the Worst Actor Razzie in 2005. So neat. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, and I I don't think she had a major part in it, but like I... She's credited in it, so uh, good on her for that. Uh, And most recently, she was the Dutch representative for The Wall of the World on CBS's The World's Best. Their response to uh, America's Got Talent All-Stars extravaganza uh, from earlier this year. Oh, right. That was a television program. Yeah. And she was on it, apparently. As the Dutch uh, representative. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So... Adzilia Rombly, uh, she uh, is a Eurovision alum twice over. Uh, she represented the country in 1998 with the song Hemel and Ard. 
and finished fourth overall. Um, this, this was back uh, way before Netherlands had their extended losing streak, which she was also a part of in 2007. Uh, she did not qualify uh, with her entry on top of the world. She has also hosted the Eurovision in Concert event in Amsterdam. Uh, she hosted it this year and will be hosting it again uh, next year. Uh, Jan Smit, he has been a Eurovision commentator uh, for the Dutch broadcaster for nine years. And uh, his claim to fame is being the most successful Dutch artist in Germany. Uh, he had a hit song when he was just 10 years old. And yeah, he's just been uh, performing since then uh, in Netherlands, Germany, uh, all over that that area of Europe. And yeah, just appears on all the shows. And I think he has like an ownership stake in a football club. Like, uh, yeah, he's he's a major player. I think they've got a good set of hosts this time around. Like it's people who know what they're doing and like how it relates to Eurovision, which isn't always the case with hosts. There's usually one who's just like, I'm just here because my agent set this up. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, <laughs> so. there's just like a feeling of extreme competence going on and I'm, I'm here mm-hmm. for it. And also yes. just, Jan, just Jan Smith's name essentially just being a Dutch version of John Smith just delights mm-hmm. me infinitely. Yes. Okay. And then we've had a few selection inklings either artist names or just process details coming out mm-hmm. uh austria after a lot of speculation because i feel there were a couple different artists that that various sites were going this is the austrian artist they posted this on their instagram they used this hashtag mm-hmm. uh, and it's it's been none of them it is it is vincent bueno who apparently will be representing them with the song alive he was a backing singer for nathan trent in 2017 uh, and was part of their national selection in 2016 yeah, I remember that 2016 process, and uh, he he had the distinction of going first, which might have been to his benefit, because what I remember from the 2016 contest was that the judges really raked everyone over the coals, and like as you got farther and farther in the lineup, there was just this kind of deer-in-the-headlights look uh, from the contestants. to be like, oh, what are they going to say now? And it's just like, it, it was just diminishing returns throughout. So him, him going first, even though that's not an advantageous position in most cases, I think he probably... He continued in the music got away from industry, the which may not have so, happened yeah. for some of those entrants. Right, right. And yeah, I mean, but I mean, he still finished middle of the field there. I think it was sixth overall. It shows that he has experience performing on this sort of stage. And we'll have a link to the uh, video of his performance in our show notes. And he's game, I think. Like, yeah. he did a backflip. So <laughs> that, like, that's, the, like, a high watermark for me. So <laughs> Yeah, like, so I had seen sort of the the presentation they gave for, for yeah, he's going to be our artist. Here is the promo photo. Here is the description of what the song's going to be about, which that had just some real eye roll heavy hashtags mm. to quickly read one uh hashtag alive from the moment i let go of the fast-paced confirmation of social media and its pressures to be something specific i reconnected with my identity that makes me feel alive i'm real scared mm. about the song mike i'm real scared uh, this sounds like telemove's uh all over again i'm i'm i am concerned i am uh. i am confusion on the other hand, having now watched the video of him from 2016, I'm like, oh, this is going to be a very different thing from this year's entry. Yeah, hopefully. Uh, not not that their entry this year was particularly bad. It was just 
out of place. Yeah, and it was. I, yeah, this, it was. It was. I like the the idea of the performance, but it, I, I agree with you. It felt out of place compared to a lot of the other entries. This is somebody who's going to bring at least a little bit of bombast. And, yes. Uh, yeah. So speaking of bombast, we've got Albania entering into their selection process for 2020. It's it's always confusing with the Festival of Congas, uh, just because it's their 2019 festival, but the winner of the festival goes on to represent in the following year. So they're going to have 20 acts competing this year, uh, split between two semifinals. So there'll be 10 performing on Thursday, December 19th, and then the other 10 will perform on Friday, December 20th. There will be 10 competing in the grand final that'll happen on Sunday, December 22nd. It's not necessarily going to be a 5-5 split, Albania tends to play kind of fast and loose with uh, expectations of, of this sort of format. Um, so I, I think in previous years, they have had like seven from one semifinal and three from another or decide that, oh, we'll have 12 people go through and it's, it can just be like a hodgepodge of things. But they seem pretty uh, set on having a more formalized process. Uh, this year. Along with the competing performances, Mahmoud and Eleni Ferreira will uh, be interval acts, so that that should be fun. And uh, yeah, the songs that are competing are out now on a YouTube playlist. And the current favorite is uh, Elvana Jata's Meitana. I checked right before we started recording, uh, 2.1 million views, which is a record for any Festival of Congress entry oh dang yeah like it, it is shattering and a lot of people are uh looking to that as a predictor for uh her probably winning uh fik i think the youtube views are a good predictor of how many people have viewed the youtube video <laughs> uh <laughs> that is what that number means yeah yeah i mean it's just uh because uh fik part of the challenge there is it's all jury decided like it is the jury who is going to decide who advances from the semifinals it's the jury who's going to choose the winner there's no audience vote uh as part of the process this year so who knows she may not get out of the semifinals i don't think that's going to be the case the song is a jam like i i really like it and if she doesn't win i hope she does well but um the next closest in terms of views has 457,000 so like it's it's not even close in terms of which song is the most popular at this point we're we're going to have our first entry awesome i i look forward to that yes so another selection that's fast approaching is the the Czech selection. So it seemed appropriate to do a check-in on how that's going. Uh, there are going to be seven songs in their final this year, which was going to be a televised final, but has moved back to the online model they've been using the last few years to some mm-hmm. success. We will know who those artists are January 6th. Songs will be on January 13th when the vote opens, and the winner will be announced two weeks later uh, around January 26th or so. One thing they have released, which feels decidedly unhelpful, is that they asked all of the artists uh, what genre their song was in. And it's very clear that the form did not have just like a drop down list of, of genres, but instead gave artists a little field to fill in because here is the list, Mike. Organic pop, dream pop, indie pop, emo pop, afro pop, reggaeton, and planned coincidence punk pop. What? Oh. Yeah. Uh, I am... <laughs> Deeply afraid of what Czech reggaeton sounds like. And then also, what in the heck is planned coincidence punk pop? Also, you can just say Hatari. Just say Hatari, Czech Republic. 
I mean, are they planned coincidence punk pop? I I, I don't know if I'd describe Hatari that way. <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, I'm not sure I would describe them that way either. But also, what and uh, organic pop? I'm I'm not sure. Do they mean like artisanal? Is is, is this from like free range pop stars? I I don't know. <laughs> Well, no, 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 no. For free range, they have to have like a cage area. They have to have like a specific amount of area they can walk around. Organic, right, you okay. can just apply to anything. Okay. All right. That works for me. Uh, Food jokes, dream- everybody. Food jokes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dream pop. I guess I could sort of like, maybe maybe that falls into like the Zoe Deschanel, Manic Pixie, Dream Girl pop. I don't know. I was gonna, so, I was something involving like, a ukulele. I was going uh, to say Beach House. Oh, beach okay. House. Yeah. Indie pop, that could be anything. Anything is indie pop now. Yeah, yeah. I mean, their entry this year was uh, definitely fell into the indie pop zone. Uh, emo so. pop, that feels like a, like a My Chemical Romance sort of a deal. Mm-hmm. But again, mm. get hyped for Czech reggaeton, everybody. Who knows? That? I mean, it it could be I mean, awesome. I'm I'm I am I, I am being very derisive now, and I look forward to eating my words at the end of January. I mean, based on how their selections have been going the last couple of years, this it it's a weird sounding list, and it's it's also something where I'm wondering if they had like. A list of 10 genres that you could choose from and if somebody chose one like it was off the table so it's like oh well ours is really more indie but i guess we'll take emo so i don't know but <laughs> that kind of wraps up the news desk for now a lot of stuff that's happened and uh ho- hopefully they will take a holiday because yes uh, because we're, we are we're, taking, we're a taking holiday. one so <laughs> But given that it is, it is the holiday season, I thought it would be nice to think about our wish list, not necessarily for the holidays, but for what we want out of the 2020 Eurovision season. Mm-hmm. And I, I sort of gave this as a prompt when we were planning out the rest of the year and had one very specific thing that I wanted to rant about, which is how, which is like, then take a step back. How can we make this into a discussion? Yeah. Uh, so, so I have one. I don't specific... know. Rants are always on my wish list. R- yes. So yeah. I have. One... Yeah. Like I have one of these that is less a Christmas wish and more of a festivist uh, complaint. Uh, grievance. Yeah. Grievance. Yes. A, gr- <laughs> a festivist grievance to be aired. So I'm going to just start with that one, and then we can talk about some other wishes and or grievances. Sweden. This is this is an intervention. You need to send something other than a male solo vocalist in 2020 preach so the last time they sent a an act that was not a male solo vocalist was sana nielsen's undo and that was in 2014 which as of may 2020 will have been six years ago good gravy and i had a hunch that sweden had the worst record of this in the last five years so i did what i what i often do which is i made a spreadsheet it's my love language yeah And literally did the math and was just, and just sort of went through country by country for all 41 of the participating countries next year and marked whether an act was male, female, or both so that I could incorporate things where it was like a male-female duo. Uh, with bands, I tended to – I tried to take a look at the lineups. Mm-hmm. So there, there may have been a few errors in my calculations just given how I set this up. But I am correct. Sweden is doing the worst job. They have sent one in the past five years. They, that is 16%. Wow. Yeah, since 2014. There are other nations who are also not doing a great job, Mm -hmm. but great job was defined as 40%. The country doing the best at sending female performers is Malta, by the way, 85% in the last five years. Oh, yeah. Yeah, which good for them. Uh, But some other nations that could also stand to do better in the gender diversity side of things, Italy, Denmark, and Israel all have a 33% rate of sending women. And Norway mm. and Belarus are both at about 37.5%. Yeah, and those 
Belarus has been kind of a mixed bag, but like mm-hmm. those are all like public selection processes. Yes. Which is interesting. Huh. That would be another interesting data point to add to this is is public selection versus internal selection. That that kind of goes along with one of my grievances, uh, which I think needs to be aired now, where it's like we have five artists selected. One of them is female. One is a group that has a female lead singer, but is primarily the, like the dudes have been the constant factor in their tenure. And mm-hmm. then the other three are handsome blokes probably wearing leather pants. So it's the Sweden effect and it needs to stop now. All, all, all future internal selections need to do better. So <laughs> it's a little distressing just looking at Sweden's lineup for Melfest next year. It's like, oh... They're kind of setting themselves up for same old, same old. We'll, we'll, we'll see how that holds up. Uh, d- did you have anything else you wanted to say about this? That was it. I did the math. The math doesn't lie. Do better. Cool. So, yeah, I guess uh, I, I will air my grievance next. And it's not too much of a grievance because I understand how supply and demand works. Uh, but prices for Eurovision really need to start calming down. It's so ridiculous. Like, the reports that I'm seeing of uh, like hotel prices and um, just like what the Eurovision experience is starting to cost for people. Like I was on hotels.com this past Friday, uh, just doing a little bit of research, a little bit of poking around to see if you wanted to try to get a hotel in Rotterdam for Eurovision week, how much was that going to cost? And first of all, I had to scroll pretty far down the page to get a listing that was actually in Rotterdam and not like 25 miles from the city center uh as a lot of the entries were and yeah the cheapest price that i found was 193 a night which i guess that's an okay rate except if you're there for the full week that's close to 1500 dollars just just for hotels so crazy and then like going on to airbnb to see if there's like any other sort of deal it's like air lol like the prices yep. are bonkers the prices (laughs) right now are bonkers yeah most of the prices uh particularly as you're like getting closer and closer to rotterdam ahoy it's uh like in the 300 to 500 dollar per night range uh there was one that i found that uh i think was like 85 dollars but it was designed for a single person did not have like smoke detectors or like really any sort of amenities um it's just like, oh, that seems like a very nice closet. And then, um, yeah, it's just like you had to be so far away from the city to like find anything that was even close to a reasonable price. But my favorite my favorite listing that I found was uh, for a houseboat, um, which I think was... Uh, I was about to say, which is not unusual, because at least for Rotterdam, because when we were looking at potential mm-hmm. airbnbs months ago there were a fair number of houseboats available and for a brief moment considered if i wanted to live that houseboat life yeah yeah and i think it was able to like house six people or something like it seemed like a pretty fair accommodation and pretty decent price uh until you read the listing and they're just like it's not in rotterdam now but it will be there in time yes on the photos the boat is in a different location for the song festival we will sail it to rotterdam i could not imagine rolling the dice on something like that <laughs> just sort of- um, I have the listing up if if you'd like to hear more details about wonderful life on a houseboat. Oh, yes. Life on a boat is simple. There is a one-burner gas stove, and there is tap water for cooking and brushing your teeth. I would not recommend drinking it, as it comes from a water tank. The boat is heated, so you can make it warm and cozy. Oh, well, that's nice. Sh- oh, 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 oh. Showering can be done at the nearby harbor office. 100-meter walk. 
The, to- the toilets are also located there. The toilet building of the harbor office is shared. Sailing the boat on your own is not allowed, but let me know if you want to do a guided tour. Smiley face. Oh, man. Come stay on this boat. You cannot poop here. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Um, Going to Eurovision in 2017 and 2018, it's, it is a presence in the host city, but it's not like the dominating presence. Like It is very easy to run into people who just like, Eurovision, what, what are you talking about? And like, they could be locals and just be like, oh, yeah, that that thing and just be like completely non-affected by it. And I think of people who like are just going to Rotterdam on business, like like your your company has an office in Rotterdam. Yes, I've, I've gone there before. Yeah, I'm just thinking that uh, like one of your coworkers who may have zero interest or knowledge in Eurovision be like, oh, yeah, you got to go to the Rotterdam office for a week and be like, oh, OK, I'm going to go book a hotel. Wow, Rotterdam is really expensive. For, oh, oh yeah, like, no, I'm just, no I'm just, obvious I'm just quietly <laughs> thinking to myself, well, nobody's traveling to either of the either of the Netherlands offices that week because there's not going to be hotel rooms. Yeah, yeah, and it's just like, man, that's just so crazy. And so, the end of grievance. Uh, end of now. grievances so. section of episode. <laughs> um, okay, so I guess the one wish that I had for next year is that one thing that I've seen the last couple of years that's made me very happy that I would like to see keep happening is the the rise of more and more non-english songs mm. i think especially with things uh like amar pelos deutsch and 1944 proving mm-hmm. that you don't have to be in english to have a universal message mm-hmm. more countries are being willing to take that risk and it's it's great i like hearing things in other languages like that's why i love watching the national finals is that i get to sit and sort of generally understand what's going on even though i don't know what people are saying Exactly. And uh, particularly languages that aren't like the national language, like uh, even though I wasn't a huge fan of Norway's entry this year, like the song was primarily in English, except for the like yoik parts. But like those parts aren't in Norwegian. Yes. Yeah. Just really getting into like all of the different like dialects and like categories of languages it's like yes mm-hmm. more of that please more well, just, well, yeah like, cultural like, flavor admittedly it does not have a good historical precedent but every every so often a nation will do like a conlang thing where they do a constructed language that's just not any of the national languages mm-hmm. and i'm still not sure if i'm ready for that uh because i feel like both times it, both times i have seen it has just failed spectacularly mm-hmm. uh, but again just as, as the linguistics nerd keep sending things that aren't in english yes yeah, and, and and I I am optimistic that is going to be the case uh, for the next couple of years. Uh, partly from like all of the like nationalism that is happening right now. That it's just like, uh, well, I mean, you take the good with the bad, but uh, yeah, I mean, it's like if that's a byproduct of it, great. But I totally agree with you that uh, more more non English, like like make this as multilingual as possible. I guess that kind of goes in with my other like Eurovision wish, uh, where it's keep moving towards interesting, even if the song is safe. It's a difficult distinction to draw, but if you have a safe song and you do safe staging with like the sparkly light shower thing at the end when you hit the power note at the bridge, like, yeah, like that's just not 
no like we like it's it's, (laughs) i just think of like bigger than us and Mm -hmm. like how that was like the safest bowl of oatmeal you could get at (laughs) at the eurovision commissary (laughs) and yeah um yeah and it's just like just this like painting by numbers style it's like even though i wasn't a fan of that song either more interesting staging could have at least got me interested in watching like what was going on but yeah like it's and I don't know how to necessarily quantify this for for people, but it's go go for interesting, mm-hmm. if if only to save yourself from a boring. Well, entry. well, yeah, and just thinking about like just getting super into hotry this year, like I want to see more hotries at next year's Eurovision. I don't mean that I want like sixteen different bands in various different S and M combinations of like pleather and vinyl. Mm-hmm. Um, I I want more nations to see the exam to see what iceland did where they sent a band that is sort of at their creative peak doing mm. their thing for three minutes rather than the year before iceland had sent ari and ari did was like the bottom of their semi-final doing like bland oatmeal yeah about about how we all have a choice and and loving one another uh yeah. iceland was like okay cool cool we're sending this now and everybody loved it i would rather s- see an attempt to be bold and fail than just going the safest route possible. I mentioned Telemoves earlier, and I understand why that did not advance, because I think it was just a little too arty for general consumption. But it was interesting. Yeah, like, but it I, was there was a lot going and we on. We talked yeah. about it. Yeah. Yeah. And there was a lot to talk about. There was a lot to look at. Like if you can ask the question, but is it art? Like I think that is a good starting point for yes. any sort of presentation. So Well, and just having now seen what next year's Eurovision stage looks like and how it looks like a nice big open canvas for stuff, I want to mm-hmm. see people trying and failing. Yes. In in, in yeah. interesting ways. Yes. Please paint with all the colors, use all the crayons in the box. So yes. <laughs> Wrapping up 2019, it's about the time where Spotify Wrapped has dropped for everybody. Mm-hmm. It definitely dropped for me, and this is like the first time I've seen like a notable Eurovision section of the the playlist they give me at the end of it. Okay, like I had 13 Eurovision related things on there. What was weird is that most of them were were Melfest entries that did not get it out of their respective semifinals. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, uh, That's yeah. Dedication to the cause. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, just to yeah, just to walk through which of those are on there. Uh, Oscar Ennestad's "I Love It," which placed seventh out of seven in its semifinal, <laughs> which is just a great mindless bop. Mm-hmm. Malu Preetz's "I Do Me." Uh, I'm which, as we've said on the show, I'm very happy that she's back next year yes. for Melfest, just because I loved that song. And then Dolly Styles Habibi is in there as well, which is embarrassing. Uh, and then the <laughs> the other Eurovision one that's in the top 10 for me is Maruv's Siren Song, which is another one that did not make the actual Eurovision final. The main takeaway I got from my Spotify wrapped is they did that nice thing this year where they broke down, here's what you were listening to in the winter, and then the spring, and then the summer, and then the fall. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like, my winter is just kind of normal, and then the spring one is just all Hatari all the time, always. <laughs> <laughs> uh and the and that just was like a continuing theme through the various slides of the presentation it's like oh wow you listen to 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 artists from like 39 different countries this year including Norway including the UK including the US for some reason despite me being a US Spotify listener <laughs> uh, and also Iceland and it just plays Hatred Mood Sigra uh nice. then go then going through my my top songs of the year it's like 
then it just starts playing Spilling Gardance, which was which was my number one, followed by Lizzo's Juice because I have dimensions and I am I yeah. contain multitudes. <laughs> it gets to okay of all the new artists you discovered, you got really into this one, uh, and it of course that one was Hatari. Um, mm. <laughs> you listened to them for fourteen hours this year, I'm like yeah, that tracks. What? Wow, fourteen hours. Fourteen. I listened to a lot of Spilling Gardance. Like it, it became a jam. Wow. And what I realized, uh, just because I feel like I've discussed this with with friends who either worked at Spotify at one point or do, is that they they stopped collecting the data for that around the end of October, early November. Okay. Which I noticed because my my page for for Hot Tree's music was like, you listened to seven songs by them this year. It's like, I listened to eight songs by them this year, which means that this does not have the number of times I listened to Klamstrucker in November. Mm. So it's actually worse. It's actually worse than 14 yeah. hours. <laughs> How about your Spotify wrapped, Mike? Did did your Spotify wrapped act like a concerned parent who's not sure about this Hatari that you're into, but wants to be supportive of your growth as a person? Well, so I, I often say that my Spotify algorithm is completely broken. Uh, part of this is because of Eurovision and like close to 10 years of Eurovision content uh, just mixed in with whatever is uh, happening on Top 40. Uh, but then also like RuPaul's Drag Race and all of the novelty singles that come out of that. And um, yeah, like the... Yeah, it it it's a mess, but Eurovision dominated my top songs of 2019. Like you have to get into like the mid 50s of that list before you really start seeing something that is not from a national selection, uh previous years, that that sort of thing. Um I I did think it was kind of funny that uh Hair Body Face from uh <laughs> A Star is Born uh was one slot above Arcade in the mid 50s section. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I think that is correct. Uh, well, so I did not trust its decade judgments because I'm like, I was not regularly no. using Spotify on a heavy level until about 2016. Mm -hmm. So it was giving me like a decade of stuff. And like for most of the years before that, I'm just, I was just thinking, OK, so I listened to Billy Joel's Goodnight Saigon once in 2013. And you've mm -hmm. named it my top song for that year. Oh, geez. Yeah. yeah. I'm just like, no, Spotify, this is not correct. Yeah, well, that was that was the thing that like really made me suspicious of the data, where uh, it was like listing my top artists, and uh, like Lizzo was in my top five, which Juice is a fantastic track. I've listened to a few of her other tracks. I don't think I've listened to her full album like multiple times, and like Sergey Lazarev, who I have a lot of his tracks in my saved list, was nowhere to be found. And it's like that just seems weird and they said my artist of the decade was florence and the machine which kind of makes sense because i was listening to uh to them a lot in like 2013 ish like 2011 to 2013 so that was probably front loading a lot of the data mm -hmm. but like they were also listed as my artist of 2019 and it's like really and like a couple of the songs that they uh mentioned of theirs that uh were like at the top of my list it's like huh i like was not seeking them out in any sort of way so it's just like i'm i'm not sure how they're doing the counting but mm -hmm. well and um, i know at least with my count so there are a lot of people who use spotify's sort of algorithmically generated playlists and i mm -hmm. almost exclusively listen to a playlist that i start building around this time every year just mm -hmm. with what i want to backload from 2019 or previous years and then fill up with other things from the the year to come 
as as right. it goes along. Where like I almost never listen to the algorithmically generated stuff. So I don't know. On the other hand, like my top artist for both this year and the decade, although my decade one didn't throw me off as much, was Bastille. Oh, and interesting. I was like, I was like, well, I do have a bunch of them on that playlist, and I don't skip them a bunch when they when they come up. Right. And they did have an album drop this year. Yeah. The algorithm's weird, but mm-hmm. it will it will control us all someday. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> but yeah, they, well, and like on the global side of things, I I did like that they called that out this year. That there's like here, look at all the different countries worth of music that you're listening to. One that I did not count in my in my Eurovision count for Spotify Wrapped, uh, just because it contains a member of that group, but is not that group. Was Verk popped up a bunch in that playlist? Uh, I had mm. one track from Hipsum Haps, which considering I discovered them in like September. Uh, is great. Uh, one Australian artist that I got super excited about, especially when earlier this year they mentioned doing a a national selection, and that I would love to see pop up at next year's national selection, uh, is this group called Confidence Man. Mm. And then also uh, Georgia, and then Nilufer Yanya from the UK popped up a few, in a few places. So I don't listen to any podcasts on Spotify, but kept trying to incorporate data on those in Wrapped. So it seemed like a nice chance to ask, what po- what other podcasts do you listen to, Mike? I had the same issue because I uh, also don't listen to podcasts on Spotify. But there was one one week where uh, Who Weekly did not download to uh, Overcast. Uh, so I did listen to that episode through Spotify. Uh, so I believe that may have been like either my number one or number two after this podcast, of course. Because uh, <laughs> I got to test to make sure that is loading it properly on Spotify. But uh, yeah, so uh, Who Weekly, a uh, friend of the show, Lindsay, uh, she's been on a couple of times uh, as one of the hosts on that show. So uh, yeah, if you need a pop culture fix, particularly of like who is that person, highly, highly recommend that one. Yeah, Who Weekly has become my go-to podcast to listen to when it's been a really long day at work and I don't have the the mental capacity to read a book on the train ride home. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> yeah, and then uh, other uh, podcasts. Uh, I I listen to a whole slew of podcasts, but the ones that have really been rising to the top for me this year, By the Book, uh, which is a uh, sort of a comedy podcast, but it's two women who take a self-help book and live by the rules of that book for two weeks and then reporting on the results. It's kind of a fun way to do like a Cliff's Notes version of uh, self-help books, but it, and it's also just really interesting insights uh, that they have. It's a lot of fun. There's the television podcast uh, Extra Hot Great, uh, which is uh, from the people who uh, brought you Television Without Pity and uh, previously TV. It's just a weekly check-in on what's new on TV, what people are watching. Uh, it's a lot of fun. They play games at the end of every episode. Uh, some of them are really hard, uh, but yeah, game game time is uh, always a lot of fun. A new one that I've picked up in the last couple of months is called List Envy. It is a podcast where the host and the guest take a topic and try to uh, compile a list of the five best examples of that topic. And uh, it's a topic of the guest's choosing. And Ben and I are both going to be on that podcast uh, in the coming weeks. Uh, Actually, as uh, this episode drops, uh, my episode, which is about Eurovision, uh, is uh, going to be... uh, either having just dropped or about to drop uh, as this episode goes live. So we will have a link in the show notes uh, to that episode. Mine is scheduled to drop sometime in January. 
Uh, and I mostly just used the opportunity to go on someone else's podcast to talk about the Apple again elsewhere. Oh, no. <laughs> just, just... Uh, did you make him watch the Apple? Or... <laughs> I, I, I did not make him watch the Apple. I did strongly suggest that he should yeah, watch the yeah. Apple. Yeah, you let him watch the Apple. <laughs> Hello, this is my pamphlet. Please watch the Apple. On my side, like I got super, super into the podcast You're Wrong About which is oh, two yes. journalists, one who is, one who works for the Huffington Post and one who works for outlets like The Believer and others, kind of going back to primarily 90s era media stories. Like, they've been doing a whole run on O.J. Simpson and, like, the various parties associated with that recently, and they just... They've done, like, three or four episodes, and they've just gotten to the Bronco chase. They're really good about looking at stories or people where there was one media narrative that maybe wasn't the correct one or maybe wasn't the full picture and going back and kind of analyzing what the full story is there. Other than that, I really love Slate's Hit Parade just because they find really, really interesting nuggets of chart information. Uh, they just had one where they talked about The Cure and New Order and all of those 80s bands when they had like a heyday towards the end of the 80s. Uh, they just did a, an amazing wrap-up of the 2010s in music. Uh, and then I'm currently waiting for season two of Cocaine and Rhinestones to come out, but season one is really good and tells about 13 different stories about country music, which was not a thing I was interested in at all a few years mm -hmm. ago. And now that I know that all of the good stuff is like the stories from the 60s and the 70s, I'm super into that because there's that one. And then right now, Dolly Parton's America is doing some fascinating work, kind of diving into her whole oeuvre of of stuff which is nice because there's a lot that's happened which i have read her memoir that she wrote in like 94 and like a lot of stuff has happened since then oh yeah uh but this wow, like that, this dives into like there was like this beautiful nugget in the show where she just kind of casually drops that she wrote jolene and, and i will always love you in the same weekend what yeah wow yeah maybe maybe even been like the same night but yeah like wow that, yeah and just it dives into like there's an episode about her relationship with porter wagner there's a discussion of kind of how she manages to always kind of avoid politics whether she considers herself a feminist and her answer there is is kind of surprising and makes a, and makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. but highly recommended uh, i think it's currently on a break because it has like three more episodes to go the other main piece of pop culture that we both got super into this year mike the mass singer on fox yes <laughs> I, lo I love this garbage television show so much yeah i mean it, it really like i i think it does kind of tie in all of the pop culture that we have discussed for 2019 like and it's fun like just how it's been sort of an international phenomenon and like just reading on like other eurovision blogs being like oh this singer from a few years back was cupcake in <laughs> on like, yes. this version of it and yeah, it's it it's one of the things that makes me kind of sad that there's not a Eurovision equivalent uh, in the U.S. I mean, I guess American Idol, but even that is isn't quite the same. Uh, where it's just like, oh, there's just this pool of celebrity that they could draw from for future editions of the show. But I shouldn't be watching it. But I've been making sure, like, like to tune in as soon as I can if I can't watch it live. The two, yes because i need to be part of the discourse but yeah like the two <laughs> the two shows right now in my life that are appointment television actually no there are three snl although mm. even that one i can mostly catch the good stuff the next day the good place 
because it's the last season and because I've followed that show and, and love everything Mike sure does and the mass singer, which is as far as you can get from the good place. Yeah. <laughs> as, as, as far as like television content, there are certain parts of the panel that I could do without and would love mm-hmm. to see and would, would not mind seeing uh, reevaluated or, or changed out now that it's been a couple of seasons, but there are specific songs where I'm mad that they are, they are not selling MP3s because apparently nobody buys MP3s anymore. Mm. Or, or just like give me an album at the end of the season where I can buy Rottweiler singing this one song or right. Fox singing this one song. I'm still very mad about about Thingamajig being sent home. It's fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, spoiler, I guess. I don't know. No. If you're not <laughs> if you're watching, not watching it live, it, yeah. what are you doing with your life? It's so goofy, but I, I think it's also been helpful in terms of like researching like these sort of nuggets of pop culture because it could just be like okay th- there was this in their clue package i need to kind of track that down and, and it's i i feel like it's making me do a better job of re- looking up stuff for like eurovision stuff in particular and just being like okay so why is this person famous well and like really trying to get into their background a little bit more oh nice yeah such a goofy show though uh- <laughs> That's going to do it for this episode of The Euro What. Thanks for listening. The Euro What podcast is hosted by Ben Smith, that's me, and Mike McComb. That's me. You can find us on our website at eurowhat.com and on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at eurowhat. We'd love to hear your questions and comments. You can subscribe to The Euro What on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or the podcast app of your choice. Rating and reviewing the podcast when you subscribe also helps other Eurovision fans find us. We'll be back next week to start wrapping up the last decade of Eurovision.